0: It's December 29th, 2022. This is RUK. Well, hi there, welcome to episode 227 of RUK. Dear Western journalists, your colleagues are behind bars in Iran. I'm Gian Gomeshi. hello to you from Toronto. Salam Dustan Aziz, Durur Bashama. Dear Western journalists, your colleagues are being tortured in Iran. Count this amongst all the sad, hideous, and deplorable distinctions earned by this Islamic Republic. World's worst jailer of journalists. That's right. According to the newly released annual prison report by the Committee to Protect Journalists, Iran now ranks number one, ahead of such media-friendly utopias like China, Myanmar, Turkey, and Belarus, the manifestation of a theocracy under the gun. Dear Western journalists, your colleagues are behind bars in Iran. In the Iranian regime's brutal crackdown to try to stop the ongoing revolution, reporters and editors have certainly not been spared. And what kind of a message does it send when you're arresting another journalist every day? Is it perhaps that you're terrified and hoping to keep a tight lid on what honest media might have to say? Dozens of journalists have been detained since Maasai Amini was killed in September, including brave women who reported on her death, both female and male journalists have been arrested and likely subjected to solitary confinement and psychological and physical torture. Say their names, Niloufar Hamedi, Elohim Mohammadi. And upon saying their names, here's one more mention. If you're out there somewhere working in Western media, we could use your attention. And don't even just do this for the sake of human rights, freedom and democracy. Do it because your media brothers and sisters are being attacked in this dying autocracy. As bad as the climate has been for journalists in Iran in the past, there is nothing to compare to the way the latest crackdown has been cast. Any reporter simply trying to do their job is now at risk. Their only crime being their occupation, being arrested, summoned, threatened, and told to comply or face retaliation. Let's spell this out. If you're caught reporting or writing something that the regime does not like, you're up for prosecution. You may have your home raided, your family warned. It may end up in execution. And of course, this is in contravention to the UN Declaration of Human Rights Article 19. Let's spell that out too. Everyone has the right to freedom of opinion and expression. This right includes freedom to hold opinions without interference and to seek, receive and impart information and ideas through any media regardless of frontiers. Wouldn't you know that Iran has been a signatory to that declaration for years? The world's worst jailer of journalists. Iran is finally number one. Dear Western media, isn't it time to see this terrorist regime undone? Coming up on this edition of Rook, award-winning journalist and physician Gilda Sahebi, journalist Maso Mortazavi, and popular artist Ebrin Bakeri in our studio. This is Rook, episode 227, Dear Western Journalists, Your Colleagues Are Behind Bars in Iran. Here we are in the Rook studio for another new edition of Rook. It's almost a new year. And... Uh uh, I guess we're a few days away from that. It's a it's quite a show that we have for you in the meantime though. Our final show of 2022 coming up Gilda Sahebi, Gilda Sahebi. Um do you do you know who this person is? I do. Well, I mean, did you know of her <laughs> before we booked her on on
1: No, to be fair, I didn't. Because
0: not. she's fantastic. She's uh she's uh in Germany and she is uh, a Iranian German uh journalist. Actually, funny enough, she's a uh, She's a perfect Persian overachiever in that she's a, a prominent and prolific journalist, but also a doctor.
1: Can't forget that part. <laughs>
0: because because if you weren't feeling enough shame that you haven't achieved enough in your life. Um, Gilda, I really wanted her on the show because so much of what we do here and the perspective that we have is from it's it is from the diaspora, but it's from the North Amer- North American perspective. Uh, and uh, so much of what's going on in terms of the support, uh, the interaction uh, with Iran, uh, and the support in the diaspora is emanating out of the EU mm-hmm. and, in particular,ly Germany that we've talked so much about in recent right. shows um so to to speak to somebody on the ground there who does that work in germany and who can tell us for example is germany really mm-hmm. taking the lead in a progressive way in in terms of creating uh, change or you know uh, uh, putting the holding the regimes uh, feet to the fire um we know we have our own perspectives in canada about the canadian government and yet from the outside people will say oh Canada, you guys are Mm -hmm. leading the way. It's so progressive. So, you know, for I saw the prime minister with uh, Hamid Ismailian or something. And so it's not always the truth when you know, you know, I mean, you have a different perspective inside the country. So Gilda will give us the perspective from Germany. Um, This past week as well, the German media magazine, Medium, awarded her the distinction of journalist of the year in the field of politics in germany so uh it'll be good to have her coming on the show coming up uh, from germany and also coming up in the rook studio ebrine Bacheri. you know Ebrin, i'm sure of course uh right. the uh the fabulous uh artist yes, uh, yes, I do. now we had him on before because he does these incredibly inventive uh self-portraits mm-hmm. that have become his style. But recently, and he's at, amongst his fans is uh, Queen Farah, who mm-hmm. he has done a portrait of as well. But most recently, in the last few months, all of his work has been focused on um, portraying, drawing the victims of the regime during this uh, uprising in Iran. So Ebrin, Ebrin Baqiri, joining us here in the Rook studio coming up. For our Rook Roundtable, Let's do that first, as ever. Hello, Pega, officially. Hello. Hello, Shia. Hi, And another special guest here for our Rook Roundtable, a returning champion, actually. She's a reporter, host, and documentary filmmaker. She's been a journalist for uh, many years. After moving to Canada, Mahsa Mortazavi has been focusing on Iran issues as the Canadian correspondent with Iran International TV. She's been very actively broadcasting on the revolution and the Iranian community here in the diaspora in the last four months. And she joins us here in the Rook studio for our Rook Roundtable. Hello. Hi. Nice to have you back.
2: Thank you very much. It's good to be back.
0: Lots to get to. I I would be remiss if um, I want to kick off the Rook Roundtable talking about something that is not specifically Iranian. Mm -hmm. uh, And that is the news just broke a couple of hours ago of the um, sad passing of Pele, the soccer icon. Mm -hmm. Um, Not even soccer icon, cultural icon. Rest in peace, Pele. And I suspect if it weren't for the revolution happening right now, which of course we're appreciative of, but uh, has completely changed our programming. Mm-hmm. I suspect we would be planning a full show um, uh, yeah. on Pele, because like Maradona, yes. which we did a full show on when he died, yeah. there are a lot of Iranian mm-hmm. fans of Pele. Oh, <laughs> you can't yeah. separate a, a football no. icon from Iranians. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the icons of the 20th century, uh, Probably the finest exponent of the beautiful game. You know, he kind of put uh, put put the beautiful game into action with his incredible abilities. His his real name is Edson. Uh, do you know who he named after? I don't. Anybody? So Edson. Edson. Uh,
1: his father? Mm, I don't know.
0: Mm, no, good, excellent, good work, Becca. No. <laughs> No, he was named after Only Thomas Edison. Oh, oh, really? Yes. Interesting. Because electricity had just come to Brazil right before Pele was born. Oh, wow! Interesting. So he was named after Thomas Edison. He came from poverty. He he didn't even when he began playing football. His father taught him. He didn't even have a ball. He was kicking a, a rolled up socks uh, wow. that he was used used as, as a ball. So so that's why he was kind of a not just a cultural and sporting legend, but. A role model for people around the world of different classes, because Mm -hmm. here's a guy who came Mm -hmm. from nothing and became um, the biggest deal in the world. I I remember when I was a little kid, uh, I didn't really know. um, You know, I was growing up in England, and then we came to Canada, um, and the the sort of my era is Maradona. You know, he became the. By the time I'm a teenager, I know who Maradona Mm -hmm. is, and Mm -hmm. but the only name I really knew before that. And uh, other than Bobby Charlton, because I, I had a Bobby Charlton little um, <laughs> football game thing that I had in England. But other than that was Pele. Yeah. It was just the name you knew. It was kind of mm-hmm. like uh, one one name, uh, like Cher or Madonna. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We just know. Uh, or yeah. Ebi, for that matter. Gugush. <laughs> <Yeah, exactly. laughs> Why am I using non-Iranian references? Pele. Yeah. Uh, was that, did you know, you must have known of Pele oh, yeah. growing up in Iran?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, if you're a good player at football, everyone call you Pele. Oh, Pele, come here. <laughs> I, I don't remember. Like I I remember some of his scores, but I don't remember his way of playing.
0: Oh, yeah. well, fortunately, the Internet exists. Yes. You can go and <laughs> yes. see some footage of it. Yeah. He retired. I mean, he, he, he left the game pretty early. And, and you know, uh, I mean, the, the 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 international game. He ended up coming to the New York Cosmos and and playing in his later years in the in the Major League Soccer and the North American uh, League. But but something interesting about Pele. Do you know that he was excommunicated for for a while from the Brazilian soccer team, the national soccer team, right around after the I think it was after the 1970 World Cup. Don't quote me on this; I might be wrong. It might have been right before that, the one that Brazil won. Mm-hmm. Um, because he was considered a political dissident, because if he had sort of left-wing views. Wow. So um, can we think of any parallel of a great footballer <laughs> being cast out by his country, uh, by the uh, regime in the country? Um, so, yes. Um, rest in peace, Pele. And uh, and um, everything I've ever heard about him. never had the chance to meet him or interview him, but everything you ever heard about him was that he was just such a gracious incredible soul.
2: Mm-hmm. He did have a very long name, did he?
0: Yes, yes his full it's
3: name. Ar-
2: you know what I remember from him? The Fair only the thing, Sifur. yeah, exactly, that's the only <laughs> that, thing the I what, remember. The name? What? Yeah, so there was this show um, that Manu Chernozari would um, host yes. and... Um, in Ferdus, Iran? Yeah, okay. in Iran and um, Ferdusipur was, was one of the people who participated in in that contest and he asked for the complete name of Pelé or the first name of Pelé and he, he gave the full name and everybody was shocked <laughs> so for the non-footballist person that I am that's the only memory I have from Pelé Edson
0: Arantes do oh, Nascimento. Oh. There
2: yes. you go yeah. <laughs>
1: oh, wow.
0: mm, More simply known as Pelé Rest in peace
1: With good reason more simply known <laughs> as Pelé <laughs> Let's I get
0: guess. to our, our Rook Roundtable I, I thought especially with you here Massa uh, we would be remiss if we didn't start with, I mean, we'll go through a couple of things that have come up in the last couple of days before we get to our first guest, uh, uh, Gilda, in Germany, because I think um, she's got a lot to add to to what we've been seeing in the news recently as well. But I thought we'd, we'd be remiss if we don't talk about the news around PS Flight 752 or Flight PS 752. Um, this is something that, again, if you're in the Iranian diaspora or maybe listening to us in Iran you've been aware of what happened in the last 24 hours because there was a lot of social media announcement about this but that something that the families of of the victims of Flight 752 um, that horrific uh, plane that was uh, shot down almost exactly three years ago by Mm -hmm. the regime um, and casualties in, in three countries in the world, a lot of Canadian Iranian Canadians, the families of those victims have long been advocating for some kind of International mm-hmm. um, ad, uh, um, court
2: of justice. Uh,
0: court of justice so they're addressing this on an international level uh, and a criminal level, and taking the regime to task. Finally, uh, after some time, there has been some movement on this. Um, so, Pega, you start off with give 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 us exactly the the quick version of, mm-hmm. in case anyone isn't caught up. Uh, of what has happened.
1: Yeah, so like you mentioned, there's four countries at the forefront of this, and they are Canada, Ukraine, Sweden, and the UK. And so basically, uh, what was just recently announced is that these four countries can now take their case to ICAO, which is the International Civil Aviation Organization, where they can, you know, look for repro- some sort of reparation for what's what's occurred. Now, the the reason why this is a big deal is that. Um, They're likely not going to have any sort of, um, real communication with the Islamic Republic because the Islamic Republic is known to be, you know, not very, um, they don't, they don't conform. They don't. Responsive. They don't, yeah. yeah, responsive, I guess we could say. But what's important about that and the reason why it's important and expected that that's going to happen is that if they are not responsive, then what will actually happen is that this will go to the next step. And the next step would be for the referral of this matter to the International Court of Justice in The Hague. Right. And so that's why this has come as a celebration um, for the organizations that have been kind of behind um, pushing this agenda forward. And
0: by the way, it's impossible to untangle this from the ongoing revolution in Iran. It's not. It's not directly correlated, but mm-hmm. er, anything that has to do with this regime, atrocities, injustice, etc., is all sort of in the same box right now. Massa, it was fortuitous to have you coming in because I can't. I can think of very few people. I mean, maybe our friend Babak Payomi, who made the, the documentary about 752 and Hamid. Uh, but uh, there are a few people who have spent as much time as you have, partly as a byproduct of being uh, the Canadian correspondent for an Iranian network. Um, so many of the victims and and the people who've been speaking out about this are in Toronto, or in Canada. You've you know been there three years now um, uh, uh, talking to them. Uh, so give us your perspective on the significance of yesterday.
2: I think yesterday was one of the few days that um, the families of the victims were actually having happy moments because this was one of the things that they have been wanting from the beginning and this seemed impossible because Iran is not a part of any kind of international court of justice. Um, It doesn't have any agreement. It's not following any rule of law. Uh, It hasn't been helpful since the day one. They have been lying and lying over and over uh, about how this happened. If you remember, for three days, they were only denying that this happened, and it was shot down by missiles um, by the government of Iran. And so far, it's been a bumpy road for the families. They have been trying so hard to find ways to make this something legal that Mm. countries can look into instead of, going after people on their own, because that would have been impossible for the people who are seeking justice. This should be taken care of through uh, an international court of law. And um, yesterday, it was made possible. I don't know if you want me to explain how it was made possible.
0: Uh, If you can do it extremely briefly.
2: Yeah, Yeah, okay, so there was this um, article in in an aviation-related... I. Okay, I'm forgetting the name in English. Chicago Convention. Convention, yes. So that, um, it wasn't actually Chicago, it was Montreal 1971. So this convention has um, an article in it called Article 14 that wasn't signed by previous um, Soviet Union. And now it's signed by Ukraine and now all the four countries who are actually trying to solve this matter, they are on the same page, and this has made it possible for this case to go to the Court of Justice in Haight. Okay. So um, it's been a big step, and I'm sure that there are more big steps to come because this is only the beginning of it.
0: My, and so let me ask a question that I, I suspect some people might be th- might have in their mind but uh it's important that i issue this disclaimer that i'm asking this question without any cynicism it's i really just genuinely want to ask this question and without any disrespect for those who've worked so hard to get it to this point kick the ball to this point Uh, does would this actually make a difference yes Um, so how will this make a difference because the knee-jerk response um is this regime in iran doesn't listen to doesn't give a Shit about anybody right. and and any certainly any jurisdiction or international law as you say they're not even signed up to it so so how will this make a difference?
2: Um, for any kind of tragedy that happens, um, people need closure. They need to find out the truth. They need to find out why this happened to their loved ones, and this is a big step towards it because there is an international court that will look into it and hold people accountable for what happened you can't just get away with something that happened Mm. to your family you can't it's it's impossible to put a closure to something that is open for eternity right so court of justice um in hague is The right place to look into this matter. Although the people in Iran who are going to be held accountable for this, they might not even exit Iran, never, might not be arrested. But there will be uh, convictions. Um, It will be looked into as a criminal activity and that it was something that was done on purpose, something that hasn't been, um, hasn't been, how do you say it? So for so far from three years ago until now, no one has confirmed that this was done on purpose. But taking it to the court of law in Hague right. will
0: no official body or yeah. institution has done so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well said. I, it, you know, the first guest we ever had, first edition of Rook, was Hamid Ismailyoun. Mm-hmm. It was almost three years ago. It was about a, a month or two after the um, this horrific. Uh, uh, plane was shot down at this event. And he speaks in that interview about wanting um, justice, wanting to hold these people accountable. And, you, you know, to think about that moment three years ago, almost three years ago, and how far uh, he and others have pushed this to get it to this point is is really um, something special. In other words, not letting it go. And this is to all of the, the, the families who've just been... Uh, you know, relentless in not letting, not letting us drop the ball on this, uh, and us being the global community, um, kudos to them. You also said you thought this was important, Peggy. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, Just a couple of things to add um, in terms of what those reparations will look like, aside from, of course, the criminal convictions, the material compensation, things like that. It's the global accountability that will be reached that I think is is really what um, I would assume these families are most after. Because, you know, like we've heard so many times, never forgive, never forget. And to actually get that closure, like Massa just mentioned, that would be, you know, I think the the biggest step forward. But just a couple of um, notes on ICAO. Um, if this does in fact reach the level of the International Court of Justice and there is convictions put in place, some of the actions that ICAO could actually take- You need take, to explain what ICAO is? The International organize, uh, the International Civil Aviation Organization. Mm-hmm. So some of the actions that they could actually take is that um, they could ask countries to impose restrictions on flying over Iranian airspace to the certain level of even completely um, Avoiding it altogether, and so that would have severe implications for for the Islamic Republic Should they still be in power at that point? So that's also something to note and um, also a quick fact that I just wanted to give you guys is that um, there's only been two other um, complaints or international complaints brought against the Islamic Republic at The Hague since the 1979 revolution. The first one was the hostage-taking of the US Embassy in 1979 and the second was the Islamic Republic's military use of its offshore oil platforms in
0: 2003. Hmm. Uh, Shia, I know that you're close with, um, uh, as we all are, know folks in the, in the amongst yes. the, the families of the, the victims um, and you spoke to somebody yesterday who yes. was saw this as a a moment to celebrate?
3: Yes, and uh, what he said to me, actually, it was very interesting. He said that he spoke with uh, a couple of families and they were crying and they said that from now on, if we die, we die relaxed because we, uh, we, I can say, we kind of did what we have to do in terms of justice. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's... You know,
2: actually, many parents died during this, three years, they never saw justice happening to their children. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should salute uh, them.
0: Actually, in, in um, Hamed's uh, video that he put out yesterday, yeah. Hamed Is smiling, he he says, I'm dedicating this to
2: the 27-year-old who, daughter, yeah, yeah,
0: who, who has died, a daughter of. It's. I mean, so many people died on this flight. Some mm-hmm. of them are kids of people who are mm-hmm. the families of the victims. Some of them are are parents of the of the families. Of, uh, you know of. of and the you
2: know, as we speak, there is a demonstration by Iko today, um, wanting them to do more action.
0: Demonstration at IKO. Yeah, yeah. Not by Okay. By,
2: by the side of it. Right. By the building <laughs> of it.
0: IKO is not the one uh, demonstrating. It's no, the, no, no, no. Right. right no, yeah, by yeah. the side of it. <laughs> um, Anything you want to add on this? I mean, the, the, the one thing that was, uh, you know, it's, it's it's. I guess it embodies the idea of it's a marathon, not a sprint, to say, we're, it's six months. We're going to see if the Iran responds to this, because mm-hmm. to be clear, there's a, there's a complaint issued, Iran has six months to respond, if not, it goes to the court, right? Is yeah. that the way it works? Um, so uh, part of that is just to go, oh my God, another six months, mm-hmm. these four poor, these poor families have to wait, but they seem okay with that, you know, they're okay, like we're on track now, we're, we're going somewhere. Is there anything besides the coming anniversary, Massa, uh, that um, we should be looking out for in the next six months as we get to this, go through this process?
2: Like legal actions?
0: I'm just wondering with regards to this this process. Is it now a matter of waiting to see if Iran it should responds? Be, yeah,
2: because um, these the group of uh, the group that is looking into it of the four countries that you mentioned, mm-hmm. they uh, they are going to give Iran six more months to come up with um, clarity that is needed, and it's um, it's not likely that they will. Mm. So after that, it's going to go to the next step. But before that, there are other families who are taking a different path that might lead up to other stuff, I don't know. Um, there are other courts that are looking into this matter by different families. Um, a group of other families have done other stuff. So.
0: Good to know. Yeah, good to know. Let me get to a couple of the, the other items uh, on the that we've been looking at in the last two or three days, um, with respect to the uprising and what's going on in, in both in the diaspora and inside Iran. I wanted to bring up the idea of or the reality of the Iranian economic crisis. Um, Again, because once again, I think this might be something that we have to talk about quite regularly because it's becoming a a, a, a big issue daily. Once again, if you if you follow this stuff, you see that the Iranian currency continues to tank, uh, inflation continues to grow, the currency continues to be devalued inside Iran. Um, what are the implications of this, Shia?
3: Um, what I can see in the like in at least my social media um, the implication is that like people forget about exchanging uh, uh, like buying stuff with money they, they start to bartering and like I, I was curious if uh, it's happening I mean because I've seen several stories that like one of my friend he wanted to sell his mixer to get some gushed, uh, some meat. sorry meat, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I was curious if it's uh, like
0: happened. A mixer like a meat mi- mixing board,
3: mixing board, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah, and uh, so I, I looked it up and yeah I looked it up and uh, there is an article on Sharq newspaper which is inside of Iran and mm-hmm. actually. It's happening a lot these days that people just forget about money because they have. They're
0: literally swapping goods Mm -hmm. like a a pre-currency society. Mm -hmm. Like I'll bring you a blanket, you give me some meat.
3: Exactly. Yeah, like a lot of people say that. Like I can a lot of I have a lot of books. I give it for receiving eggs, and there's a lot of advertisement like this, and. They just they know that their money doesn't have any value. You heard about this?
2: I have, yeah, I have, but not as the, in the extent that he's talking about mm-hmm. like on social media, I've heard it as a joke. Um, I hope it's a joke still because it's very sad for, for people of a very mm-hmm. modern country to be exchanging goods instead of money.
3: Yeah, I, that's what I, I, I thought at the first that it's joke, then I looked it up and no, it's not joke. I mean, there is a website like Kijiji in Iran, it's mm-hmm. called Divar. Divar, Divar yeah. Right now, it's a lot of this kind of advertisement mm-hmm. yeah. that we... I mean, I
0: think if there are people listening to us right now who are like, um, my brother just went to Iran and came back and he cheated, there was no big deal. What's yeah. the problem? We're not talking about... It. You know, the the entire country not someone uh, who's devolving taking into this. The dollar but, to Iran. N- what's that?
1: <laughs> it's definitely not someone who's traveling to Iran with the dollar, like US or Canadian right. dollar. Of course
2: they're, they're not, not going to notice the issues, like this. Right, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, or if you're visiting their, our family in right. North Carolina. even, even Iran the
2: upper class of the people living in, like, north of Tehran yeah. they don't even notice that many of them they don't even well, care well that's part
0: that's my point yeah. yeah that 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 there are there will be people mm-hmm. I I was amongst a group of people last night who uh, a couple of them said oh we go back and forth to Iran we don't see you know in fact the country has changed a lot you know mm-hmm. these are the kind of people who uh, I didn't want to say too much because they were uh, we would have gotten to a big argument but they were they were sort of saying oh you know reforms have happened and these things take time and uh, I don't know if this revolution is going to happen but you don't really notice that much different. And meantime, these are very wealthy people, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, as anywhere in the world you go, you can live a pretty good life if you have the, the resources, yeah. right?
1: But I mean, the, the reality is as much as we want to think or hope that it's a joke, the reality is that there's been a 25% depreciation of the currency just since. September sixteenth, 2022, mm. after the killing of Massa. So since that date till now, we've seen 25%. We know inflation is almost at 50%. I mean, these are statistics that we've been looking at for weeks, months, we've been talking about it. So we know it's a reality. and. The irony in all of this is that the Islamic Republic blames the protests for the decline of the currency. That that was something that I read again recently that I that I just found laughable.
0: Yeah. Although that's not new. No That's of what course. regimes do when they when there's protesters, everything becomes the yeah. fault of the protesters mm-hmm. and yeah.
1: But we do see that um, it is it is starting to ruffle a couple of feathers because we're starting to see and hear, um, I guess, rumors and things like that of Raisi moving people around within different cabinets. There's been, you know, very quiet firings and replacements of ministers. There's even rumblings of changes at top levels in the oil ministry, ministry of education. So these are all direct effects of you know the economic crisis that's also going on. Uh, there's and
0: also been a few stories that I've, I've read in the last couple of days about uh, there being internal. Uh, debates amongst mm-hmm. uh, the 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 regime, you know that there's the reformists and the conservatives, and they're starting to infight intra intra regime uh, arguments about how to deal with this. Should we start to reform and and change things to appease the people? I didn't want to bring that up because I don't know how much. It's hard to tell how much of this is real. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the stories get written, and you sort of go, "Well, do you know that?" But um, but if that is true on any level, it speaks to the disarray that is being uh, caused by mm-hmm. ongoing discontent of a population. Did you want to add something about the economy?
2: Yes, I did, actually. So um, after gold and uh, currency, the biggest thing, the the biggest inflation was on food with mm-hmm. 67% from 12 months ago until today. People were already living 60% under the poverty line um, last year when I did a report on it, and I, I know for a fact that it was 60%, and uh-huh. now I can't imagine yeah. what the percentage is right now these days people who are only feeding on bread and maybe some eggs i don't know what they have to eat these days
0: yeah yeah so in the, with the backdrop of that um uh there are some more there seems to be increasing movement of um calls for some kind of an opposition mm-hmm. um, coalition i mean this has been in the air for a while now But in the last few days, and I can only say this anecdotally, I'm not necessarily scientifically, but I've heard from my contacts that there's a lot of activity going on in terms Mm of um, some of the big names that we've heard of uh, coordinating with each other and, and, and trying to bring together some kind of united opposition uh, that can speak with one voice to at least the international media, to represent international institutions and bodies, and maybe even to the people in Iran from the outside to say, here's, you know, what we're all together and this is what we're um, counseling or suggesting or how we can help. Or, uh, Are you hearing this?
2: Yeah, I've been hearing this. Um, something that is good to look into is that um the difference between last uprising of people with this one is that many group of many different uh, partisans they have come together to only shout that they want regime change and this is the way to look into it and that's why people from different perspectives they are coming together as well and this has been something that people want and when so many people want it so many followers of of one specific group they ask for the same thing, it brings people together. And I've seen it, I've seen it develop. I've seen it from the days that every party would do their own thing. Yeah. And now that they are only um, looking into a way to unite. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And I
0: feel like, again, I, this is not scientific. I'm not sure anybody could do this scientifically right now, even with great polling resources or something because the diaspora is spread out and it's it's big and it's diverse. But, but I feel like the intolerance level from one camp to another notwithstanding the the antipathy towards the reformists like the NIAC or whatever but mm-hmm. but but the intolerance level for 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 example for some folks uh you know who are fans of one one kind of an Ali Karimi or a Hominis Esmaeili towards uh Reza Pahlavi and and the Reza Pahlavi supporters towards the Massieh mm-hmm. I feel like that is going down not not that they don't love their choice of person, mm-hmm. but that there is this appetite to, okay, let's get these guys together. Let's sort of whoever they are inside Iran as well. Let's bring together some kind of body because increasingly to me as well, it feels like, there needs to be some kind of direction that, um, common direction that, that we can all follow. They, they, if there's, as much as we've, we've gotten so excited about the, the unity, quote unquote, that we have in the diaspora and we've heard about it within Iran, wouldn't it be great if everybody came together and said, on this day, you know, let's all go out on the streets mm-hmm. in and outside of Iran or whatever they want, you know, to, to kind of have us all on the same page. I would listen to that. Absolutely. I'd be part of that. So, um, So, yeah, it seems like we're getting to that that moment.
1: I think, you know, what's been so amazing to see, and I think this conversation that we keep having about unity and, you know, we had talked weeks before about why is it that we tear up at the sight of, you know, a, a, an organized demonstration in Berlin, or when we see someone on the street with a flag, we, you know, get this overwhelming sense of pride and all of, all of these things is is because this collective goal just to get rid of the Islamic Republic that everyone shares, regardless of what their beliefs or their choice of representative or whatever else may be, I think that. That's the unifying factor. And I think everyone's starting to realize that that is of utmost importance and everything else takes kind of a step down to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's put our our bickering aside for a little bit and and, and focus on the, the goal. And as long as the goal... Includes self-determination for Iranians within Iran. I mean, can we can we all get behind that? Mm -hmm. I mean, that seems like it's a a no-brainer. Keeping the borders of Iran, keeping it. You know, I mean, it it seems like these things could be very. Commonly agreed upon. So, um, before we end up the the roundtable, uh, and again, Massa, I'm glad you're here from a media organization because I I wanted to mention something as well. That as somebody who did work in mainstream media for a while, um, maybe it's because I I was m- weaned onto these guidelines and and awareness around what what is effective or what shouldn't be done in in media, what can be harmful. Um, there was an event a couple of days ago where uh an iranian student in france died by uh suicide uh this was a couple of days ago and um social media went in all kinds of different directions after this and um it uh it was very disturbing to me and i i did post something on my instagram saying that it is perhaps worth reminding ourselves uh in a a moment like this that a substantial body of research suggests that media reports about people who have died by suicide, as well as the topic of suicide in general, can influence vulnerable people um, and is associated with higher subsequent rates of suicide. You get a copycat kind of activity happening. So um, so on this Instagram post that I shared a couple of days ago, I shared some of the media guidelines that I I remembered from um, that were provided by the Canadian Psychiatric Association um, from two or three years ago. Uh, they're not anything that any thinking person should be that surprised by necessarily, but the bottom line is: um, don't don't overdo it in terms of talking about this. Don't don't um, sensationalize it. Don't make it seem heroic and don't glamorize it, um, because we're we're you know we're talking about an activity that um, falls into a very very dark and difficult category that can. Um, can have a great effect on other vulnerable people who might be in that in that position. Now, as soon as I posted that, and I saw others, uh, there were there was a lot of psychologists and like psychiatrists, uh, some of whom we've had on the show, posting about this, quite concerned about this. But I thought that um, I would just bring this up to for us to talk about it. Because in this wild world of social media right now with the Iranian diaspora, everybody's hungry to look for ways mm-hmm. to show that things are moving along, or there's support, or something dramatic is happening. And that can sometimes lead to some difficult paths that we have to kind of check ourselves on. Go ahead, Shia.
3: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. I was worried, actually, when I saw that news that, oh, uh, it's not a good news. I hope people stop to, uh, again, as you said, stop to making a hero out of this, because i i respect that guy uh, rest in peace but i think what he's done i i I cannot accept that we we need uh, our people the second slogan is zan zendegi azadi so you cannot like let go of your life the most precious thing that you have in terms of uh, raising awareness you can find the something that then we celebrate together after victory.
0: we don't want that to become the option mm-hmm. that yes. people choose to and help the revolution somehow
3: and again i know a lot of people in my close circle that they are ha- i know that they have some suicidal uh, thought and it, it it wo it just worry worried me that yeah. yeah it could affect them you know so. yeah. as a
2: as a media we also have guidelines on that so as a piece of news, we have to broadcast it. Mm-hmm. But we have to be very careful not to cherish it, not to um, make it something mm, normal. And uh, every time our, p- our presenters talked about it or our reporters reported about that, they only mentioned what's that, what, what has happened. And they have reported things on the social media, but we d- also do have guidelines. And as a person, I had my thoughts on whether I should think of this um, young person as a hero or you know because it it puts so much pressure on people who are already vulnerable and they're thinking of a way to look like a hero and say goodbye to the world that it really worries me that this is going to become something that more people are going to look into it and I really stopped doing anything on it I didn't post anything I didn't talk about it I didn't do a report on it I just stayed out of it as a
0: person one of the things that is a is a a reality of our age is that especially when uh, our this time period i mean is that especially around this this moment and the Iranian uprising et cetera, a lot of people are getting their information via social media platforms mm-hmm. so say instagram it's a news source you know it's a it's a way you fi- or twitter or something like you're finding out what's going on and those platforms do not discriminate between what the official news agencies are and what somebody in their basement is posting. They're all they all look the same. All mm-hmm. the posts look the same. So even with the due respect to to a, a, a network that might be doing its due diligence, um, people are not waiting around for the six o'clock news to get the official word. Right. They're just seeing it in their in their platforms, and so. Um, yeah, to me, it was just a—it was a an avalanche of all kinds of stuff being said. Can it said, be flagged?
2: You know? Can it be flagged on Instagram? If so many people report it, then it can be flagged. I guess it's, so. it's a yeah. threat to people. Yeah,
0: yeah. it was. It, I, I shouldn't say. I mean, it was. It was when I say there was a diversity. It, it wasn't just romanticizing this yeah. either. It was there was a lot of ways in which this event was being. Amplified mm-hmm. uh, that it just is it's a little too delicate. There's not a lot of thought going into this, guys. Like uh, you know, let's let's be careful here. Uh, go ahead. Eva.
1: Yeah, um, I actually, you know, like you said, I, I had kind of seen this video floating around, and there was a lot of people who were posting on it um, through social media, um, and I actually reshared one of the posts myself, um, and I was so angry at seeing the news of this individual. Um, taking his own life and
0: things coming to that point. Things coming yeah. to
1: that point. Yeah, I was just so angered by all of it. And it was just almost like another. I don't know, last straw, so to speak, in everything that's kind of been accumulating up until this point. And when I saw that video and the, and the thought process behind me resharing it and kind of putting my own commentary was on it, was that anger? Was it was coming from that place of anger? And and I had kind of written, you know, what my thoughts on it were, and the fact that this individual had felt that that was kind of the last resort, and and you know all these things. And then I actually saw your post. And I think after reading some of the guidelines and reading what you had written, I thought about it and I removed my post and I thought, you know, there's no point in, in, in resharing it because of those concerns, because of those individuals who may be at that vulnerable stage. But, you know, I I do want to emphasize that feeling that I had initially because, you know, it's something we've talked about for months and it's. Horrific. I mean, I can't even think of another word that so many of us are feeling so helpless and we, you know, our emotions are all over the place. We're constantly trying to um, find any sort of news or any sort of update on what's happening. And so many of us are so far away. We don't even have, you know, contact or regular contact with people who are inside Iran that our minds go all sorts of places. So I think it's important to also think about, you know, the, the feelings that we have when we see things like this
0: yeah I mean, maybe there's a maybe there's a simple rule that isn't gonna it's gonna sound quite simple, but it, which is to ask oneself before posting something mm-hmm. how is this is this going to help? Yeah. how is this going to help? that I mean, you know, and look, there's I've cited that there are studies. Um, there's a substantial body of research again that suggests this is what the pattern is mm-hmm. you 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 talk about this stuff you you sensationalize it it can influence vulnerable people and, and lead to higher subsequent rates of suicide but that's not an absolute it may be different for it it is different for different for people sure. there may be people who believe that we should be talking about this directly and and that we shouldn't um, uh, you know heed those kind of guidelines etc. Um, it, but it really is important to think about this in advance of. I think in in advance of posting this stuff because we're in such a emotion-driven, mm-hmm. animated kind of uh, angry uh, uh, place uh, as a as a people as a as a diaspora uh, that. Um, uh, you know the the terms like mob mentality and stuff it's like what you know when you sort of lose perspective because everybody's there's such a frenzy of action mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of like the way the information was was um in a tidal wave coming out all over social media about this event and this guy and 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 all the commentary around it um felt felt um dangerously um untethered it was you know really kind of uh uh for, for something that is such a vulnerable type of event again maybe that maybe i'm just old school it's been drilled into me by my media training but but for, right away for me it was like oh boy this is a this is kind of the opposite of what we've been told is is helpful mm-hmm. and you know i was saying to you guys earlier you live in a place like toronto there's a reason why there's a reason why you never hear news about people jumping in front of a train, mm-hmm. you know. It doesn't, it's not because it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> it's because society has decided that is not a helpful thing to be amplifying, you mm-hmm. know, to be so. Um,
3: Especially during Christmas and New Year. it Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also there is, I, I have to mention, there is a false information that people uh, think that, in Eastern philosophy, like suicidal act, actually is glorified, but it's not true. I mean, it actually, somebody
0: told me that. No, it's not. not that, no, no, uh, no. Well, you got in the West, you know that this is a bad thing, but actually in uh, no, there, there Iran is, or something. No, that's no, no. There is one act that, like for
3: example, you um, you. Uh, throw yourself into, I mean, you um, bomb you like cover yourself with bomb and uh-huh. go to the suicide uh, bomber, M- martyr, you become yeah. a martyr yeah. but this wasn't like, this was a suicide, this was suicide. I don't know It a- anyway, it's not glorified in Eastern philosophy, like k- even in Islam, like cl- self-killing uh, suicide, uh, committing suicide is the higher scene that you can commit. So the thing
0: that maybe we can all agree on is that uh, it is profoundly sad. Mm-hmm. It is just incredibly sad that... There
1: was this
2: one comment, sorry to cut you off, on Twitter about this um, that I found very true. It was that even though this guy lived in France and he, as he mentioned in his video he had a good life, he had good income and everything but he was still killed by the Islamic... Republic mm-hmm. because the, he was like um, he, it was
0: the last straw yeah yeah and that's that's that that's comment. what's so sad it, yeah. It, it, yeah. No, no matter which way you shake it and what we should and shouldn't be saying yeah. in the media um, it's definitely devastating that that mm-hmm. anyone is mm-hmm. in that kind of headspace based on what this friggin uh, uh, regime has done and what and what we've seen in the last 44 I, years I wanted to
2: remind that and as he mentioned it's woman life freedom so if you're cherishing life you shouldn't do this
0: yeah and we need everybody alive man yeah we need everybody alive this is we need we need this is we need people we need people that yeah we we, we they can we, shout yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and uh, i think it was somebody said i think it was airphone or somebody had posted something uh, our rapper friend uh, who said uh you know this revolution the only way we this Exists And the only way we can keep this going is that for it to be about hope, mm-hmm. it exactly. would there would be no revolution if it wasn't about hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so that has to be the prime directive. Keep yes. keep, you know, keep the hope alive. Yeah. Keep the hope alive.
1: I think it's a, a really good time to quote uh, Hamid Leon. Right. Don't mourn, organize. That's what we need. Timely,
0: timely. Yeah. That was the way he let off his uh, exactly mm-hmm. video about the, the the new developments with respect to the mm-hmm. international court and all and of that. And I
2: believe that they did. They did all the families of Flight like F- PS752, regardless of different directions that they went, they did organize mm-hmm. and they tried. They tried really hard.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although they've also done their fair share of mourning, I know uh, when we're in the on this 40th day cycle, there's a bunch of 40 days yeah. of uh, kids dying today as well, and, and it's impossible not to mourn, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so, um, but the point is really well taken, Massa. It's such a pleasure to have you here again. Thank, thank, thank you. you. It's always good when you're here. You're so informative. We really appreciate you and the work that you do. Thank you, Pega. Thank you. Thank you, Shia. Let's you. get to our first guest. My first guest is an Iranian-German physician, journalist, and author. Gilda Sahebi was born in Iran, moved to Germany at the age of three. She obtained her education in medicine and political science as a journalist. Gilda writes and reports about anti-Semitism, racism, women's rights, and the Middle East, with a focus on Iran. And since the beginning of the current uprising in Iran, she has been very outspoken, creating content, guesting in various media, reporting on the protests, arrests, and executions. And this past week, the German media magazine medium awarded her the distinction of journalist of the year in the field of politics and right now gilda Sahebi joins me from the south of germany today hello
4: hi
5: jian hi
0: Thank you so much for coming on the program. It's good to have you. Uh, you you're, you're quite prolific, although sometimes I can't understand what, what you're saying because it's all in German in your social media. <laughs> but I, I do understand. I use the Google Translate. I understand that you're, you've you been doing great work. And, and congratulations on this, um, this major journalist prize you've just won in, in, in Germany. That must be a big deal for you.
5: Thank you. Yeah, I think it's also uh, an acknowledgement of what's going on in Iran. So it does mean a lot. Yeah.
0: You are a doctor and an award-winning journalist. That really does seem like some next-level Persian overachiever stuff. Do the two worlds (laughs) intertwine at all? Does your medical background help you at all in your work as a very active journalist these days?
5: Well, I have taken a huge interest in in what the situation of doctors, you know, medical staff has been in Iran in the past three months. And it's awful. It's really, really bad. And there have been a lot of solidarity from the medical community in Germany, for sure. Like there was another video that was published today where physicians demanded that the medical staff, doctors, nurses, everyone is not, um, you know, persecuted, killed. We've seen everything put under pressure, it's just the situation of people who just want to help, who want to do their job, who want to heal and help people. We had this horrible case of Aida Rostami, this young doctor, she was 36 years old, and she just vanished after her shift in the hospital. Um, And then the uh, police brought her body back to her family the next morning and told them that she had an accident and her bones were crushed. Her body was crushed. And she had been helping people who have been hurt during the protests. And that's why she was murdered.
0: Yeah, we we were talking about this with Dr. K um, on on the show a couple of weeks ago. It really is high on the list of the most obscene or maybe absurd atrocities taking place in Iran right now. The doctors who are simply trying to do their job you know, not even necessarily taking a political position. Um, can risk being arrested, detained, uh, tortured the whole gamut, I suppose, by um the, it's seen as somehow cooperative if they're healing protesters?
5: yeah, I mean the the completely like horrible thing about this is usually in crises, there's special security for medical staff, right? They get access, they get security. They it it is made sure that they can help people. And what's happening around is the exact different uh, like the opposite of what what should be happening. And also they are misused for, you know, they have to lie about all kind of diagnoses. Like they they started with Gina Massa Amini, where the doctors were supposed to say that she died from a heart attack or whatever that was or brain tumor. It's like the stories keep changing and so it really right now it's just being a doctor in Iran right now or being any kind of doing any kind of medical profession is just you need to have courage in these times and and they are really rising up to that and also you know the the, the CNN report about sexual abuse in prisons and in by police by revolutionary guard everyone the only the only cause that we know about this is because medical staff has given us this information, and they're risking their lives by doing that. Yeah. And it's the the amount of courage that these people have is just astounding to me.
0: And by the way, um, this is coming on the heels of two years, three years of COVID, which yes. we all know famously. Infamously, uh, was handled in interesting ways in Iran, but really had the doctors on the front lines in Iran um, the, the way they've been all over the world, but uh, in dangerous positions. And and so it has been a, a, a precarious, a harrowing time to be a doctor uh, in Iran in the, in recent years.
5: Yeah, and I mean during COVID, the regime did everything to make it harder and more horrible for people. I'm convinced, I have no proof of that, but I'm convinced that the, the people on top, they got their great vaccines and everything they needed, but they they it took, like, they banned Pfizer and Moderna, everything from Iran, the, like, it's, Iran was actually one of the first countries that, that got hit really hard. That was before in Europe and in North America was hit because they have this huge, like, back and forth between China and Iran because they're like, oh, coming from China now also, mm-hmm. and China has huge interest in Iran. And so it started there super early, and it was not handled. People had to get treatment for themselves. A lot of people died. There was a lot of uprising about that, too, that they just lost their relatives one after another. And this this alone just shows how dictatorships, they don't care about people. They yeah. never do. They really never do. Yeah.
0: I, I said earlier in the show that I've been looking forward to having you on because I want to talk about Germany. Uh, in this moment, uh, the role of Germany, Iranian Germans, and the EU in general, um, which has been a big part of what's been going on in the diaspora in terms of how to respond, support, or um, maybe not uh, support the the uprising in Iran. Before we get there, let me just ask you, as someone who has worked in the media in this space, um, uh, human rights, women's rights, the Middle East, Iran, um, when this happened, starting in september, the 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 killing of Masah Amini, was this revolution in Iran that is currently um, in motion, something that you would have anticipated?
5: No. I think because the last couple of years after two thousand and nineteen in the Aban protest, where hundreds of people were killed on the streets in just a matter of days there was a huge resignation among especially young people. And I I was one of them. Like I remember also because no one reported on it. No Mm. one cared. I remember I tried to, to write about it and say like after Soleimani was killed, I wrote this article that we should not negotiate with these people and we can't just keep on working on the JCPOA on the nuclear deal like nothing happened. And the German Foreign minister, minister back then, he called upon both sides not to, to like to restrain themselves. And I was like, which what do you mean, like which both sides? And that was that was the way people were talking about this here. And like Jose, I think you mentioned it on the show some some time. Pagan mentioned it. He wrote this op-ed in The Wall Street Journal last year where he said the media is telling is not telling you the truth about Iran. And that was the same here. And I had a really hard time to get that article published because no one wanted to know about Iran. No one wanted to know what's going on. And this regime has been, has had impunity for 44 years. And I think this whole, no one cares and we're alone. I think a lot of people in Iran had that. And I had that because I, like a lot of people were just leaving Iran. Everyone just wanted to leave Iran and I, and I get it. Like how I remember, I don't remember there was this, dating app that the regime had developed that was in 2020 or 21 which is like this whole you should read up on it i think hamdan was the name or something like that anyway so they developed this this dating app where you know you get two people together and of course they have to get married very quickly and then you get this this islamic counselor to go through you through marriage And they did that because people stopped getting married and people stopped having children. And I talked to some people, some young people back then, and one of them told me, why would I ever put a child in this prison of of a country? And so I did not see that coming. I I didn't know.
0: Yeah, it's, it's actually interesting that you bring that up because the, the, it's called white marriage in some uh, some cases. the The idea that there's young Iranians who are cohabitating um, and not getting married and doing this in defiance of of the official laws and, and that's been a trend in recent years. We did a special on it on this show. And it's things like that, that give a nod to the fact that there is a, a generation, um, the, a, a new young generation that is basically saying, we don't give a fuck about what your yeah. laws are. And uh, and it, it, is, it is only because of that attitude that this thing has continued right i mean otherwise if it was yeah. the green movement attitude it would be well or even all bond sadly well that we've been beaten back we have to retreat maybe we'll come back for another day but this thing has continued for four months because it's it's a it's literally do or die for for young people uh, who have tremendous courage in doing that would you agree yes and it's
5: it's not new like this we had that in 1981 we had that in 1988 where you had thousands of young people who said the exact same things that people are saying today i was just researching like there's this amazing book book, it's called voices of a massacre um and they just they they tell the stories of the mass murders in in the 80s and i was just so like sad and grieving because we the young people in Iran have done that for 44 years, and they said they said I want to I'm a, I'm going to give my life so that the next generation is yeah. going to be free. They said that 44 years ago, 43 and and 40 years ago, well, and was... the difference is
0: sorry. Ahead, go ahead, you go ahead.
5: <laughs> the difference now is that we are watching them.
0: Mm.
5: We did not watch 44 years ago and 40 years ago. No one was watching. Like they were able to do this these horrendous crimes without anyone knowing about it or even caring about it but now we have their names like we didn't know any names uh, of the of the killed prisoners back then but we know them now we know all like not all their names but a lot of their names we have their pictures we know you know their tiktok videos we know how they lived how they loved and so hopefully this time they can't get away with it
0: yeah that's a that's a good way to put it i mean there there was no oxygen to these kind of um, statements and, and demonstrations in the past, it was it, they would get crushed. It's like trying to light a flame in a, in, in a windstorm. And and the the oxygen now uh, exists partly in, in because of the numbers. But you're you're right. I mean, we shouldn't we should be mindful not to um, not to dim- dismiss the the thousands and thousands who gave their lives. Certainly through the 1980s, all those executions um, in the cause of trying to fight this regime at that point um uh, but but this notion that reform really isn't going to be um the answer isn't going to be possible is something that is has become much more maybe not universal just yet obviously we know that there are still uh, elements out there in the diaspora talking about it uh, and, and and aching for it, it seems. But um, but this idea that reform is not the answer is is something that has really crystallized in the last three or four years, uh, maybe since 2017, 2019, all gone. Uh, and it really makes a difference this time. Let me ask you, let me, let's me let segue into Germany, because as I was saying, I've been looking forward to having you on because of all the, the activism in the Iranian diaspora emanating from the EU and particularly from Germany. And I wanted to ask you about Germany and the German role in all of that. Um, so let's take it step by step. First of all, I know there are a lot of Iranians living in Germany and no doubt not a uniform group, depending on the city or region. But... Overall, Gilda, if you were to say, how would you describe the Iranian-German community in the last four months since the uprising began in Iran?
5: It's been super strong. I think you haven't seen anything like the Iranian-German activists in any other EU country. There are demonstrations almost every week and i don't know any germany iranian anymore who's not active and we saw this huge protests in in october 22nd in berlin 80 to 100,000 people and there's this this uh, they call them the, the name is uh, women life freedom collective and they are incredibly active and really so many people and it's important we and we have not seen that in other countries of the european union which means that the the issue of Iran is not as big. It does make a huge difference. And the german running community has been incredibly active. Also, this whole political um, sponsorship, that's where it started. And it's it's huge. And it just goes to show how important activism is in this field. And I report on it, and I watch it, and I just see the impact that these people have and the impact that demonstrations have and civil civil any kind of civil engagement. And I'm... S- And I don't know if it's the same level in North America, definitely not in the States, like from my from what I've been seeing is that Iran has not really been any kind of issue in the United States, more in Canada, of course, but even there, I think it's not as much as in Germany. I'm not sure you you would
0: know better. Well, in, in in Toronto, obviously, we've we have a great deal of activism. We had that massive, you know, we yeah. had our own eighty thousand people protest here, uh, and and it's same thing, regular, weekly, etc. Of course, in the city of Toronto, the Greater Toronto Area um, happens to be a massive. It's probably the next to L.A. the biggest uh, um, metropolitan. Uh, area of Iranian diaspora density in the world now, so so um, th- it's reflective of that. I'm curious if if just because um, obviously, I mean, we we know that there are Iranians in Germany. We've had a few. We had uh, you know the great filmmaker Ali Samedi Ahadi on the show. Others who we've spoken to have been in ger- ger- Germany. Natalia Amiri, the journalist, but. Uh, would you say that this has been a catalyst for the unification of Iranian Germans? In other words, w- did you see this kind of um, um, outspoken demonstration of a community there before?
5: No, 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 not in that way. Even me, like I said, that was some sometime around spring this year. I, I told a friend of mine, you know, I wish I had more Iranian friends. And then, like, four months later, I before I did, like, two, and now I have, like, a hundred. <laughs> like, the networks that have been forming the past three months, three and a half months, it, amazing. Like, just everyone coming together. And also, of course, they're, you know, they're Iranians. They're going to be differences everywhere and all the time. They Like, they can't really just kind of restrain themselves. They just have to argue a lot. But usually when you say, listen, if people in Iran can come together and die for one another and die for people in Kurdistan and sistan Bluchistan and just be together, then you should really be able to. And I feel like this thought and this energy has really changed something. And there's just a really a, a feeling of understanding and being together and holding and standing together.
0: I want to get into the specifics of what... Um, the, the German government and authorities have and haven't done uh, and discuss that with you. But, but first of all, you mentioned the October 22nd um, massive epic landmark uh, protest event that happened in Berlin. What kind of effect did that have, not just on the community, but some kind of rippling effect or legacy that it would have had on lawmakers in Germany? Was that, was, would you Would you pinpoint that as a wake-up moment?
5: I I wouldn't say it's one moment. I think it's, first of all, is it's what's happening in Iran. We've seen the most horrid, you know, reports coming out of there and the incredible courage of people, of women, of young girls, like uh, October was the month of Gen Z, right? There were like girls in school taking off their hijab and doing incredible, like just incredible things. And um, so, and a lot of things have been happening, but of course, what the big protests and also the you know the notion and the understanding that this is not going away—that also people in, in Germany are not going to stop protesting; they're not just going to forget about it, as everyone did about Afghanistan. Like last year, everyone right. was talking about Afghanistan, and a year later, it's like what whatever happened there.
0: Right.
5: And I think that is what what's putting pressure, a lot of pressure on politics.
0: Okay, so I'm so grateful to have you on the program because sometimes we see and hear things from outside of a country that may not be necessarily seen the way those who are a little closer to the action or um, in the know might see things. Like for example, uh, we are told, uh, I see others from outside of Canada, for example, saying, look at the way Canada is leading the way and in, in, uh, you know, fighting this regime. Whereas those of us who are in Canada, Um, oftentimes lament the fact that uh, our government and authorities are not doing more. In fact, still haven't, for example, put the IRGC fully on the terrorist list. So we hear a lot about how progressive Germany has been leading the charge against Iran. Like, for example, we just heard about German authorities closing economic ties with Iran. Is that true or is the image of Germany being this active in fighting the regime a bit overblown?
3: I
5: think you need to be very careful about um, what is said, because what, it, what is said is not the same as what is being done. So for instance, this uh, closing economic ties, this headline, when you look at it, it's basically, it's mostly about warranties for investment and export export to Iran from Germany. And they said, we're not going to give any warranties anymore, like the government, which is great. But the thing is, there have been hardly any applications for warranties since 2018 anyways, hmm. like like companies do not want to invest in Iran for a long time since basically the US pulled out of the uh, JCPOA. So it sounds good. It's I guess it's not bad, but it's not really going to change anything. And, and so I think also like with Canada, the, the 10, the number 10,000 that Trudeau said right in the beginning, great number, where's the list? What are mm-hmm. the names like? Are they gonna be stopped when they enter Canada? I don't think so. From what I have heard, that like, there is no list, and so it 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 sounds good. And also Trudeau coming like in, in in this protest with Hamid Ismailyan and like saying I'm standing with you, I'm walking with you, or our foreign minister like saying we know their names. You know, she, she said Minu Omid, like all the, these Persian names. Sounds good, too. But what does that mean? Well, what didn't, he, didn't the, the-,
0: the chancellor or somebody just meet with Ali Karimi?
5: The, the president. Yeah.
0: Okay. And yeah. is that do we do we consider that a victory somehow?
5: <laughs> I met him, too, a few weeks ago. That was, you know, he, he meets people. You know, we have to remember, though, this president, he sent a congratulations letter to the Iranian regime in 2019 congratulating them on 40 years of revolution. So you know, so
0: you you met the you, you met the president a few weeks ago, or Ali Karimi? The president. Oh, well, I see.
5: Yeah, yeah. Did not meet Ali Karimi.
0: Did you Did you have a conversation with him about why he congratulated the regime?
5: No, I did not ask him that. Oh. But we we like I was there with a group of Iranians, and we just discussed you know the protests, and and he was very interested, and it was a good talk, and it's good that he's meeting Ali Karimi, and it's. But you can see it with, like, Macron, right? He met Alinejad, yeah. which is great. And then he was the first uh, head of state who talked about the revolution in Iran. Great. But then, like, he goes and, and talks to... He's, a, he's, a, Jan, he's in the, the club
0: lounge with the foreign minister, uh, yeah. uh, Iran foreign minister. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what is your feeling about political guardianships that seem to have begun in Germany? This was all the the rage a couple of weeks ago we were all talking about this and and hopefully it does provide some kind of lifeline for those on death row Um, this is this is the act of official politicians or political figures or lawmakers um, somehow sponsoring or becoming the patrons of those who are being detained uh, who are at risk of execution etc in iran so that it amps up the pressure on the possibility of uh, the the regime doing anything to them Um, tell, tell me about your perspective on this
5: i think it's amazing I we have seen death sentences lifted because of that. Although the re- regime, of course, would never admit that it has anything to do with it. I have observed uh, political sponsors; they are so engaged. They write letters to the embassy, to the Iranian ambassador. They write letters to their to the people who are in prison, and hope you never know if they get to them. But they really, really care, and they are on it every single day. Like they they tweet about it like twenty times a day. And they really it's like they're really taking them on these people and this goes back to what i said before you know the 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 regime in iran they have never ever been confronted with their own crimes ever like people who make all the decisions and and who get the money and who get rich on on, on people dying and killing people they don't see the pictures of the of the kids that they kill mm. they don't see what happens in prison now they do see and these sponsorships are one part of this because they confront them all the time with their crimes. And hopefully, at some point, these these perpetrators, they're gonna think, oh, shit, you know, if I keep doing this, I might have to pay for it one day. So the question of, you know, being seen, and the question of, we're not looking away this time, they looked away for 44 years, it's they're not looking away anymore. And it does make a huge difference.
0: That's really heartening to hear. Um, let me ask you about the nuclear deal. We, 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 uh, I often think about the JCPOA, the, this nuclear deal, the resuscitation of it and the possibility of it being something to do with the United States. So the conversation is usually what's the Biden administration doing? What's M- uh, Mali saying? What's uh, Blinken signaling? What? Where is the U.S. on this? But of course, the U.S. isn't the only actor in this. Uh, uh, do, do Is it your sense that um, despite the protest- protestations of Iranians everywhere in the world that that the German government is still interested in doing some kind of deal with Iran?
5: That is a very good question, <laughs> because uh, yesterday, actually, the speaker of the foreign minister, he said that they are not focusing on the deal. They they have no interest, and there's no cause for them to, to want it to be like re- revived, and they're focusing on the people on the street. That was quite a big announcement, because... Just before the EU, like the high representative of EU who deals with like foreign foreign um, affairs, Josep Borrell, he met the Iranian foreign minister last week in Jordan. And he doesn't go without a mandate. Like he has to do what the European countries tell him. So the, the foreign ministry saying that we do not follow that lead basically, I don't understand yet. I don't understand, is that them distancing themselves from this? Mm. Because they can't really do that. Because EU foreign politics is shaped together, the foreign policy. Or is it, again, just something that sounds good? I really don't know yet. I, I sent them an inquiry today, and I'm <laughs> waiting for it. Um, but we like the past three months, what I have heard from from German officials was always, we. it's, you know... We are not talking about the Jcpo JcpoA. there are no, no negotiations. And now the EU, on the EU level they they say openly, we do negotiate. And already has there been an AIEA um group in Tehran two weeks ago. So these are very, very mixed yeah. signals. yeah. and but what I hear from Iran when I talk like I, I talk to people in Iran every day, it's like they're backstabbing us, and I get it.
0: I really get it. Yeah, there's certainly with all these whispers, it certainly isn't dead. That and no. and, and, and sadly, yeah. um, that's quite sad because it's not just whether the merits of the nuclear deal. It's that it's that it really suggests these administrations in the West have not bought into the idea that of regime change no. in Iran. It really, that you know, that, that's that's yeah. the bottom line, and and it's it's pretty devastating for Iranians who uh back to that slogan that i feel like i have to repeat on every show you know we're not looking for you to save us just stop saving the murderers you know uh and and this is where it falls into that category uh let me turn the question around uh gilda what do you believe germany could be doing better
5: what could the eu do better in germany germany is is a very major player in the eu and the eu is not putting the IRGC on the terrorist list, and they belong there. They have to be there, and they they have all kinds of explanations why not, They're not doing it, but what I believe and what makes most sense to me is because of the JCPOA. Because if the the Revolutionary Guards are on the terrorist list, this is gonna make the the deal, the nuclear deal, impossible, and also in the future there will be no trade possible with, with Iran, hmm. between Iran and EU. So that will be one of the first important steps. And then also, when you look at the sanctions that the EU has put forward, there have been three rounds of sanctions since September. It's a joke. Like, it's like under 146 individuals and 12 organizations. When you look at Russia, there are 410 organizations alone hmm. and all kind of like hundreds of individuals and they have not done that with Iran, the regime. That like, I, I like to say, you know, there even in one one a part of Tehran, there are more murderers than these 146. You know, this you can you can basically put almost all people in parliament on the sanctions yeah. list. But they they are not doing that, and that is really important because as long as these people in the regime that are doing like they're part of this crime machine they're part of you know just an execution imagine how many people are involved in this you know from putting like signing the papers up to the guy who's gonna actually execute and you have to make like you and as i said before with this with the canada list the canadian list you need names
0: Mm. you
5: need to put names on this list and this has still not happened
0: uh, it's it's really helpful and um, educational to talk to you. I hope you'll you'll come back. I really appreciate um, the perspective you're giving us from the the heart of uh, the the middle of Europe. There, uh, before I let you go, there's a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. One of them you you had brought up to me in an earlier conversation you and I had, which you said you're concerned about disinformation uh, and fake news um in uh, particularly in the media and social media and particularly how spreading disinformation can be used by the islamic republic regime tell me about your concerns
5: i'm just thinking we think we're also seeing this with the executions uh, so for instance uh, one night it's like tomorrow uh, muhammad kobadlu is going to be executed and everyone is worried and everyone uses the hashtag and then the next day Oh no! And it's not going to happen. And 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 then you know this that's that sentence is lifted. Oh no no no! It's not lifted. Like the regime wants to make people tired. They want to crush people. Daaroon. They want to make them daaroon basically. And fake news and disinformation is helping them do that because we've seen all kinds of fake news like this misinformation like. Um, they they would use all footage of protests uh, and take them mm. you know that happened today which which didn't you know or they say uh, the Iranian regime used chemical weapons in kurdistan there's no proof of that and so as long as this happens it's only it only helps the regime because it discredits the protesters and the movement and the people because at some point no one's going to know what what's real anymore and that only helps the regimes it's really important to verify every single information and to make sure that it's true. For instance, I had a uh, someone, and i've i've I thought i've I've done research on that for a while now, but I still haven't found any proof that they take organs from dead prisoners, yeah, and that's I believe, but I have no proof. And until we have proof, we can't make that claim. And it's really important because this regime, Especially if you know it's history, it's it's horrible enough. It is like it does the worst things that you can ever ever Mm -hmm. imagine. It's really dark. It's bad enough we
0: don't have to make stuff up.
5: Don't have to make (laughs) anything. Yeah,
0: but 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 it's not. But you know, just to push back gently on this, I mean, because I'm, it's confusing. I mean, first of all, I would say the mass majority. I'm going to assume I'm that of of folks in social media you're you know a, an iranian canadian sitting in calgary who sees this thing on social media and says oh my god this person's about to be executed be our voice amplify all of those things that we've been repeating over and over again you know so they put that on social media they're doing that out of a good intention they're trying to help right so yeah how are we yeah. supposed to navigate between who is going to be executed and who isn't going to be executed i mean we sort of um we we and 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 one thing I should put an asterisk on as somebody who's worked in media for years myself too, is there are Iranian media networks that put news out there that we assume is going through the same kind of fact-checking as some of the major Western media networks, which are all not perfect and all have their own agendas, yes, a disclaimer, but, but that don't go through that, that vigorous kind of fact-checking exercise. But again, back to the person in Calgary, um, you know, they, well, this network is saying that. So this major TV network is saying that. So I guess I have to believe it's true. And so I have to get on social media and say, yeah. stop the execution. And then it doesn't happen. And I can see exactly what you're saying in terms of the regime um, exhausting us with this. Um, but how are we supposed to navigate that?
5: That's like with the executions, just to make that very, very clear, you always go out and say it. Like, never. When someone says someone's going to be executed tomorrow, you're going to put you use the hashtag. Okay. It doesn't matter. Because it can't, like, how, do, how are you supposed to know if it's going to happen or not? Like, well, with you the use that as an
0: example of how fake news can help the Islamic Republic.
5: Yeah, but that's not, like, I wouldn't put that under fake news. I'm just saying how they want to use it. Oh. Like, they want to make people tired. They want to make people not listen anymore. But with the executions, you always go out and you always use the hashtags.
3: Okay. Because
5: if you don't, then these people like are not gonna be anywhere. We saw that with Mohsen Shekari, the first man, uh, young man who was executed. The family was told not to say his name to anyone not to you know to keep silent and they did and they just executed him. Yeah. And his name was nowhere. No one talked about it. So with the executions, yes, even the 10th time you go out, and the 10th time and the 20th time you're gonna say their name, because they especially people on death row and people who were in, in danger of being executed. They, we need to know their names.
3: Okay,
5: I'm just saying. Just as that was just an example for the mechanism. You know, the 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 regime uses. Like I believe that they themselves put out a lot of fake news because they mm. want to discredit the opposition. Mm. And the fact checking goes to us, right? It doesn't go to to, nor- to to not media people. They how would they? How of course they're gonna trust media outlets and media outlets, Iranian ones. And in exile are really really good they have incredibly good fact checkers and so you can trust those but look at the sources where you get the news from that's all i'm saying
0: hmm. all right a staunch defense of the iranian media networks outside of iran i'm i'm uh, uh they make mistakes i may need to hold you to that at some point but but but, uh, but i appreciate what you're saying listen um before i let you go uh where do you where do you believe Gilda that, that, that this revolution is headed as we're we're moving into 2023? Uh, it, it won't come as any surprise to you that a lot of the uh, and maybe this is a part and parcel of the exhaustion you're talking about, a lot of the 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 inspirational, momentum that seemed to exist through October and November that was culminating in things like that massive Berlin demonstration, um, the inspiration that led many of us to be saying things like the rebirth of Iranian pride, still still there, still significant. A lot of that feels right now um, somewhat suppressed. We're in a bit of a lull. There's people concerned that there aren't millions on the streets in Iran. What's going to happen? I try to say revolutions don't happen in three months; they take time, and and there's going to be ups and downs. But what is your feeling um, about where we're at and where we're headed as we go into a new year?
5: Well, first of all, I I am convinced that that the majority of people in Iran want to see this regime disappear; they want to see it go away, and. From what the conversations that I've been having with people in Iran in the past few weeks, since the executions, basically, it's just it's it's going to happen. And I and I asked them. So I told them. like one friend of mine. She's she always goes to the protests. And I told her, do you know that that like Western governments don't believe it's going to happen? And she was surprised. <laughs> she was like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "Well, you know, they don't believe in the revolution." She was like, "Of course, it's going to happen." But the thing is, of course, as was with the revolution in 79, it doesn't happen within like a couple of weeks or a few months, and it goes up and down and and intensifies and gets weaker. And that's just part of it, because I believe the executions really cause some form of grief within Mm -hmm. a lot of people in Iran, because, of course... It it like someone dying is there is no better or worse how how they die. Yes. You know, someone dying on the street is just as awful and saddening as someone being executed. But the resolution of the regime shows in a different way when you execute someone. Yes. You know, you yes. have to actually do it. you have to get up early in the morning, you have to do all kinds of horrible like I, I can't even I still can't believe that we're executing people in the twenty first century.
0: Yes. And it's so, a, it's a calculated, intentional, horrific, yeah. barbaric act. Yeah. And even the way it's done is hearkening to the Middle Ages.
5: Exactly. Yeah. I mean they just all the steps that you need to put someone, you know, on a crane. Just 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 you know, just imagining it. So that I think that did put a lot of sadness and grief in a lot of people as for myself like the the two weeks after the executions i was not doing well like i could see I, like i was way more like a so sad all the time just about the fact that they really did that and so it's just it comes and goes in phases that's how it is it, it can take many months it can take more than a year but i do not believe and I, it's just beyond my Imagination: How this regime is going to get these people back? And every person they kill, every child that they kill, is going to bring up so much anger and so much more of "It's enough!" And we have the fortieth—you know—the fortieth uh, day of death. Every time, it's a huge protest. Yeah. We had that with Pierre Falak. We have that. To, we have that today in different cities. And I, you know, you never know. You know, revolutions happen when you don't expect them to happen.
0: Yildas Ahebi, I'm so grateful for the time you've given us. I'm grateful for the work you do. Congratulations again on your recent distinction, your Journalist of the Year Award, and um, I hope you'll come back.
5: Definitely, I would love to. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.
5: Bye.
3: This dream I'm dreaming Won't you wait this life I'm living Doesn't really feel like This strange dream I'm dreaming If we don't feel right Never thought Never thought i to start again, somebody wait.
0: This is Rook, episode 227, The Uprising. Dear Western journalists, your colleagues are behind bars in Iran. Let's get to our next guest, and he is here in the Rook Studio. If you are in or familiar with the Persian community here in Toronto, you will perhaps know of my next guest today. Ebrin Paghari is a talented Iranian-Canadian visual artist who's well-known for using references from Persian poetry to deconstruct the traditional concept of masculinity and gender norms in his paintings. He's made quite a splash in the art world and counts Queen Fada Pahlavi amongst his fans Ebrin was born and raised in Iran. He moved to Canada where he received his master's degree in fine arts. In the last four months, Ebrin has been painting portraits of the victims of the regime brutality in Iran and has been using his art for solidarity with Iranians around the diaspora at this momentous time. And right now, Ebrin Bakari joins me in the Rook studio. Hello, sir. Hi, John. Thank you for having me. Nice to have you back here. Step into the microphone there. Don't be shy. Okay. Yeah, uh, you are you're not shy, are you shy? Um sometimes, sometimes you are shy, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um first of all, I mean you came from Iran at the age of nineteen. You've been here, you've never shied away from your Iranian-ness and, and um some of the feelings and emotions you had about leaving and needing to leave to, to live a more free life. Absolutely. Um, what has been the most painful or difficult uh, element for you in witnessing what has been happening in Iran in the last four months? The young lives, the long lives that there are gone,
4: so they're irreplaceable. Um, <clears throat> it's so sad for me. It's like a pain in my heart. Anytime I see Um, Anytime I'm on my Instagram or social media or on TV, I see almost every day a young person is dead just because of Iranian regime. They don't like them. They're just fighting for their freedom. This is something that I cannot mm, bear with at all.
0: And you cannot look away
4: at the same time. No, absolutely no. So I cannot do anything. You know what I feel? I feel like I'm powerless. I feel like I wish I could do something more. I wish I could go back to Iran and fight with them, but you know what? I don't think I can do anything of these. So
0: what do you <laughs> think you would be? You know, you certainly can't go back to Iran without yeah. getting in some some trouble based on some of the things you painted. But what 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 do you think you would be doing if you were
4: in Iran? Well, I would be protesting on the street every day, every night, along with them. I'm also Iranian. It just might the location of my living is different. I live in a more free uh, country, so it doesn't mean that I'm not Iranian or I don't feel their pain. So I feel that I I wish I could go back mm. and fight as much as I could.
0: We've been talking a lot in recent <laughs> weeks about the, the, the contradiction of feelings that we have. On the one hand, we're We've talked about the sadness, of the devastation, the kids, uh, you think about and, and and the brutality and the deaths. On the other hand, uh, be inspiration of what's been happening in, in the last um, four months now almost. Has it been empowering for you on some level to see what is going on in Iran given the changes you would have wanted there when you were there?
4: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm really, really um, fascinated by the bravery of the young generation that I see in my generation when I was living in Iran people they they, they were not as brave as this so the the, the government they were trying to scare people of doing anything political mm. so of course people were fighting of course people they all prisons were full of political prisoners but in the young generation the age of 16 14 15 they're fighting for freedom I wonder if <coughs> if they they just gave up or maybe they just had nothing to lose. You know, well, they're not scared of them anymore. Mm. So it's very inspiring for me, and also I'm so proud to see the new generation. They're just not backing up;
0: they just uh, continue fighting. I've seen you uh, personally on the the protests here in in Toronto. We've uh, we've seen each other. Um, but you haven't ju- just been uh, attending protests. You've, you've really kind of shape-shifted in terms of what you do as an artist. I mean, you've been, I would say, of, of the artists, of the works that I know, uh, you stand out as someone who's quite famously consistent As an artist Uh, and part of the consistency is creating variations of your own image in in your paintings and drawings we have a couple of them here in the rook foyer that is until now Uh, tell me when you first had the inspiration to start drawing the figures of those who um, as I say the victims of the regime in, in Iran and how big a step that was for you artistically given that consistency that I I talked about
4: you know what my imme- you know what my immediate reaction was just naturally went through my pain so i i paint and draw uh my feelings so when i when i saw what's going on in Iran i could not do anything else except just focusing on on what's going on in Iran i have uh, 12 students so All my twelve students suspended my classes. I could not. You can't teach. No, I can't teach. Why not? I cannot do anything else besides focusing on the portraits I'm doing of these heroes, basically
0: so and i'm assuming you don't do commission work no
4: i'm not i'm not so if somebody
0: says i'm uh, let me give you a million dollars to uh,
4: paint well a million dollar maybe (laughs) but in a few months all right but no but to be honest But really
0: i I mean if somebody asks you to do something right now you're just not in the headspace
4: well no no i'm doing um i'm giving myself a, a space to do my artwork after whatever After I feel more comfortable doing it right now. I'm not feeling comfortable making money right now. Just you know painting and Changing my mood about Mm. what's going on in Iran. So I cannot so
0: It's such a it's such a tough one. You know, I When we talk about people artists people uh, um, I'm in the same position as somebody who's doing this kind of a programming and 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 in media and arts, etc that um we necessarily shift what we 're doing in a way that i don't necessarily see an engineer or a real estate agent Absolutely. not to take yeah. anything away from oh, them, yeah. and there are certainly you know engineers and real estate agents i've seen on the protests as well but but they're not saying i 'm now focusing all my engineering on yeah. I- iran yeah but um you feel that imperative you uh, you can't I you can't actually do business right now
4: yeah i, I you know what I feel I'm paralyzed I feel that i am only able to answer my feelings and, um, and my emotions, um, and that's the only thing I can do. That transition wasn't difficult for me. Mm. It just came very naturally. It wasn't really tough decision for me to, you know. Instead of, don't get me wrong. So the commission work and the, the exhibition, whatever it has the, 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 the whatever in the future I have. It's
0: your living. It's yeah. Your, yeah. It's
4: my living. I'm I'm gonna do it, but. In a you way, know, I suspended my work. So maybe in in two months, three months, I'm not gonna work on their commission work at the moment. But uh, I think it's more important for me that focus on what's going on in Iran and be their voices, mm. rather to just focusing on my business as a you know art. I'm not saying art is a business, but arts also I'm making money to live, right? Um, so that's why I'm trying to, for I'm trying to um, draw attentions of the the, mm, the heroes that that the lost their lives. Yeah. I'm doing their yeah. portraits. Kiany Pirfalag was only nine years old. Yeah, he did not deserve to die. Who
0: was the first of the the young people in Iran that you decided you wanted to draw or paint? I started with uh, Mahsa
4: Amini. I started with Massa Amini. And it was a quite emotional process for me. Like I,
0: a different process from a the way very, normally. Very is.
4: different process. It, it was completely different. How so? Normally, I'm really. Um, I know what I'm doing. It's, it's confident. I just go, do not uh, sketch or whatever. I'm comfortable in a drawing and painting area. But if, for me, when I was staring at her eyes, I just wanted to capture her eyes and her emotion. I could not uh, stop crying. She was full of life. She did not deserve to die at the age of 22 in her own motherland, in her own country, just because of selfishness of the government. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I started with Massa Amini and then continue so far uh i don't think I'm missing anyone, but I have done every single um, every single person that have been uh, publicized and we know of 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 course there are a lot of people that have lost their lives, but we don't know yet because of the pressure the government or the regime are g- pressure giving to their families they're not they're not letting them to yeah,
0: talk yeah. How do you how do you just uh, decide who you're going to do next, and how long do each of these portraits take you?
4: Um, I I just you know what look at them. A few of them actually I repeated. I repeated like for Sarina and uh, Nika and um, <clears throat> what was it? Nika, Sarina, I did maybe two or three portraits of of them. Okay. So. It's also a process that it makes me relax and calm because I have I also have to take care of my mental health, um, which is very important for us. You know what, if yeah. we just really caught up with this situation that it's, it's really draining. So we have to do something to keep up with our mental health, yeah. which I think regime targeted our mental health, right? So to me, I never experienced it the amount of <coughs> rage and anger and hate in me. I never had that much hate in my life. How can I You feel angry? I feel angry. I'm so mad at them. I'm so angry. I hate
0: them. Weren't you uh, angry before? I was. You I know mean what? you had to you basically left Iran I, because yeah, it was
4: I was but to be to be honest with you mm, the ukrainian er airplane crash was the the beginning of the time the period of time for me that i felt oh my god you know what i have to take care of my mental health because they're targeting me i cannot leave with hate every second anytime i walk i was full of hate and anger but before that it was personal Right now is more than personal. It's like a people. just you know what I mean? I cannot just think of myself. Mm. I think of like all the Iranians, they're living in a really, really sad situation. It feels like it's very surreal. Mm. Like imagine if we we are <coughs> living in a free country and we're watching them. Imagine if they are living in the the inside of that hell. yeah, yeah. it's so difficult for them.
0: One of the things I love about these portraits that you're you're doing, um, people like you, people like Najma who's also doing portraits, it's your version of be her be be our voice. It's your version of say her name. You're doing it visually, Absolutely. and <coughs> something that's quite amazing about that is we just had um, Gilda Gilda Sahibyan. Uh, she was in, in in Germany. I don't know if you you were listening along with. She was the guest right before you, but she was saying that you know this there were there were always people dissenting in iran what one of the things that's changed and one of the things that's been quite golden about this time is we we know these people and we we know their names and we know who they are, especially the kids. <clears throat> yeah. Right. It's by one name for Iranians around the world, you can say, you just said Nikon Sarina, and we know exactly who you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. And so you're painting you're drawing these images of people that um, it's almost inconceivable before this time that some kid that this is not Michael Jackson or oh, yeah. Donald Trump that, you know, the world knows as some iconic figure. And yet the whole community knows who you are drawing
4: exactly right? the, the, one of the um, moments that i felt really down about the portraits that i was doing it was khodanur
3: mm.
4: i know khod i live in toronto people everywhere in the world they know khodanur now, now but khodanur had no birth certificate yeah the Iranian government they didn't give her give him well, But the newest is from uh, Zahedan. Zahedan, yeah, yeah. Right, he didn't have any birth certificate, any ID. Like Iranian government, they did not even recognize him as a person. So it was so sad for me. Even though he didn't have birth certificate, but obviously it was recognized by the whole entire board.
0: What's been um, you 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 said that. Uh, I noticed on a number of these you have chosen to call for example Majid Reza who was executed, um, you call them heroes. Tell me about seeing these people as heroes. You know what, the
4: fact they fought until the last moment, they could they could just go on the TV and say whatever this, the old scenario that the Iranian government makes for everybody. They say, you know what, we, we regret we did forced forced confession. Yeah, yeah, forced confession, whatever. So they maybe they did that, but uh, they they stood by their belief until the end of it, mm. right? They could get out of this, but they did not. They fought until the last moment. To me they're heroes, of course. And one of the sad um sad images that I saw recently was Magic Reza's before execution, his left arm was broken. Yeah. And a picture of her another picture was circling on the internet. He had a uh, tattoo. He had a tattoo of your horse Yeah. And it was so sad for me that you know how they broke his arm be- because, because of that.
0: The Sun Lion, you know, which represents yeah. um
4: so there are a lot of heroes like Fatemeh Sepehri like he she is in Iran and she is in prison but she fought in Iran against Khamenei while living in Iran so how well, she is a hero too much is a hero so these people are very insp- inspirational for not for me but for a lot of people what is
0: the heroes book series
4: it's actually a sketchbook of the people that, from um, this period of time since September until now, they have either they lost their lives or they are fighting for their freedom or for people's freedom in the in the present. So it's um, it's a series of the number of portraits.
0: Mm. And is it going to be? Are you going to print it? Is it going to be available you know somewhere?
4: We're thinking of um, showing this this series of the work. Yeah, maybe at art gallery.
0: Mm, very nice. I I mentioned that um, one of your fans is Queen Farah, who you've you've done a portrait of, and and uh, I think you gave it to her, or she commissioned yeah, it, or yeah, something. Yeah, Um
4: Have you spoken to her in the last three or four months? Uh, I did. We, we talked um, a few days ago. Yeah. What does she say? She, um, you know what? On I was in Paris actually. I, I met her in Paris on avali uh, Mehrma. It was the very beginning of the protest. So when I when I was in her house, we saw each other. It was like, oh my god, how brave they are! Yeah. So we both were shocked and how brave and strong these teenagers basically they are in Iran. Yeah. She's very optimistic, Her Majesty. Um, It's it's amazing.
0: (coughs) You you spoke to her a few days ago.
4: I I spoke to her a few days ago, like last week, maybe. And
0: and she feels optimistic.
4: Um, We didn't we didn't talk about this. Yeah. Do you feel optimistic? I feel optimistic. I feel finally piros ha'imshot hamamun piros ha'imshot. Farah has um, um, a signature word that he um, signs: "Nur mm. bar Translate <laughs> that for us. Yeah, so the light will victory the darkness. Yes, which is we'll amazing. Will defeat
0: the darkness. Yeah. Yes. Do you have a sense of how how you're going to? Get back to doing your regular work, or are you happy to be doing what you're not happy? But are you um, fulfilled to be doing what you're doing right now in terms of the the revolution?
4: You know what I wanted to mention something: hornada or protest art. It's something that I have never seen anywhere in the world or in 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 art history. That amount of artists or even non professional artists. Performance art, literature, visual art, drawing, It's really exploded. Painting. Every yeah. day you yeah. see the huge amount of artwork produced against the regime yes. in support of people, yes. which is wonderful. I'm I'm not sure when I will move out from my mood, maybe after the victory. Mm. But so far, um, my focus is only in um, Be Their Voice.
0: And every what kind of... Reaction, is there any particular reaction that you want to share that stuck with you or moved you in terms of people reacting to the work you've done? Um, I had, um, I had, mm,
4: I received a few messages from a few member of, I'm not going to say their name, maybe there will be a problem mm-hmm. with them because they are in Iran. A few of the uh, people, uh, the family members? The family, family the members oh, or wow. relatives, yeah. That I am trying to somehow give their portraits to them, um, which is amazing. That yeah. they they felt very happy that you know I was their 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 voice. Mm-hmm. So which how is, did it feel to hear from them? Um, I cried. <laughs> I cried. I could not stop crying. It just was it was a very emotional moment for me because I was not. Trying to reach their family or show them that I did the portrait, they contacted me, and they were interested in the portraits I did. They they thanked me. I mm. should thank them, but they thanked me.
0: Uh. Well, let me thank you as well. Uh. It's uh, uh, it's always good to see you. We. Um, I always like want to have you on the show to talk thank about you. your your tremendous work but this um, this moment where you're doing these portraits, uh, they, they move me as well and I'm a big fan of yours. Thank, and you and I, I thank you for the work you're doing.
4: Thank you for having me and thank you for the wonderful work you do and the interviews and everything for the community which is I think at this moment we all have to ha- have each other's back and support. This is the only thing we can do. Merci, everyone.
0: Uh, that's Ebrin Um Check him out on his social media. Check out his, his um, tremendously moving uh, portraits of uh, the victims of the um, the current regime during this um, this revolution, during this uprising. And uh, let me see if I can find I just my wanted goodbye. to mention something. Yes. Zan Zendigi Azadi. Thank you, Abraham. Um This is full time for Rook for today. Thank you to the amazing team who put this show together. Uh, Savvy Roham, Anahita, Parisa, Pega, Mehrdad, and Shaya. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us, sharing our content. Please subscribe on any of our platforms if you haven't done so already. Remember, our our main hub is rookmedia.com, where you can link to all of our videos and, and commentary and... Clips and all of the episodes from this uprising series. You can find me on Instagram at Jiangomeshi mizunbashin.